Welcome to Video Store. My name is Sam Mulberry. Today we are talking about the 1994 film Three Colors White. So let's step into Barrett Fisher's Video Store. Barrett, how you doing? Doing great, Sam. Barrett, um, we don't need to do a lot of work up top on uh, Kozlowski because we talked about him last week. Uh, this is the the second part of this trilogy. Um, so I want to ask the history question, but, but here's what I really want to know is when did you first see this film? Did Blue compel you to want to see white were you already in on the project or did this take you a while to get to yeah i I, i'm pretty sure i saw it pretty quickly after blue and yeah i was kind of in on the project when i knew it was a trilogy i knew i wanted to see all three so i just went right on from blue to, to white I have to say, I think I said this last week that I'm like, I think I've seen this, but I don't remember it. Having watched it this week, uh, I am certain I've never seen this movie. Uh, this there was I had I went in not knowing, not without expectations, and then watching it and thinking like, oh, maybe some of this will come back to me, and none of it did. So I clearly loved the movie Blue, wanted to see the rest of these, and then just never did. So this mm-hmm. is this has actually been kind of great to see. Um, I will say watching this movie uh, made me really excited to see red and actually more excited to see red than blue made me to want to see white, (laughs) even though I could argue blues a better movie, but I'm not sure about that. I really loved this movie. I, I, uh, I watched it twice this week and the second viewing was as interesting, if not more interesting, um, worrying less about where it was headed and more about um, kind of what he's doing uh, made this movie really interesting. Plus, it's not a competition. I mean, he made all three of these to be companion pieces. So I don't think my guess is he's not interested in which do you think is better of the three? I don't think that's the point. So um, I will say I feel like watching this that I am starting to understand Kieslowski's project a bit more um, than even than than uh, than watching blue watching blue and white now it's like oh I think I get this and this is why I'm excited to see red because I I kind of know what he's done so far with liberty and equality. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, so I'm like well bring on fraternity let's let's sort of see what what his pretty interesting take on this. And I read a quote this week that I maybe read last week as well, but somehow it didn't land with me the way it landed this time. So this is a quote from uh, Kieslowski. He said, blue liberty, white equality, red fraternity. We looked very closely at these three ideas and how they functioned in everyday life. But from an individual's point of view, these are ide- these ideals are contradictory with human nature. When you deal with them practically, you do not know how to live with them. Do people really want liberty, equality, and fraternity? Now, again, I maybe read that last week, but it didn't land with me. But watching this makes me think about this project differently because it, it these first two films seem to imply, uh, and maybe this this is how I'm reading this quote, that these concepts or ideals play out differently on the specific individual level than they maybe do on the abstract, large-scale societal level. They can be societal ideals, but do they work as personal ideals? Well, I think, yeah, I, I think actually when I think about equality and the history of Poland, that has that has very complicated resonances, resonances for somebody like Kislowski because 
you know, white is filmed not not that long after the fall of communism in Poland. And, you know, communism, you could say, was a, a failed experiment in a, in a kind of enforced equality. Um, there's another Kazowski quote where he says, uh, in Poland, we say everyone, everyone wants to be more equal than everyone else. Mm. Uh, and he goes on to say it's practically a proverb and it shows that it's equality is impossible. It's contrary to it's contradictory to human nature. So, so, so that, that, that's, that's where he's interested. You're saying, Sam, and what, it, what does it mean to have equality at a personal level? And, and, and so I think that's really, that's kind of the, um, uh, that's the, the quest of the film in a sense, right? For Carol is how can he become equal again with Dominique, whose name actually suggests dominance, right? So, you know, is, is that equality actually possible? And I think, you know, we'll talk when we get to the ending of the film, but, you know, has equality been achieved? Is equality even even possible? What does it mean actually to be equal? Right. Or is it desirable? I mean, I think yeah. that that's another way to look at this. Like maybe you can achieve it, but but what uh, what happens with that achievement, I think, is is where this movie is uh, is asking some questions. Um, so I was thinking about this this sort of notion um, and and. Uh, you talked about how, and I think Ebert talks about this too, how blue is tragedy slash anti-tragedy. This is comedy slash anti-comedy. And then we're told red is romance slash anti-romance. Um, what I'm interested in, and, and I like having a, a literary scholar here, is there anything, is there any connection between liberty and tragedy or equality and comedy we'll take fraternity and romance off the board for a second because we're not there yet but but is there is there a natural connection or contradiction between between those forms right if we're thinking of tragedy comedy romance as um not exactly genres but something bigger than a genre right um like uh, uh models maybe for storytelling do those uh ideals line up or contradict naturally so liberty tragedy equality comedy that's a that's a good question um i'm trying to think about if there's anything uh, i i think tragedy if anything tends to go, go the opposite i think that we tend to I, at least i tend to say say tragedy with um the usually futile effort to uh, fight against some kind of a fate, whether it's an internal fate with a character flaw or whether it's a fate imposed by the gods. So tragedy, I guess, the, 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 to stretch the point a, get a bit, Sam, I guess I could say that tragedy is, uh, in some respects, the, the doomed effort to find liberty, but ultimately not being able to achieve it. Um, but that works, that works with comedy as well, right? Yeah, if, sure. if we're thinking about that same relationship. You know, because there see, and, and you were sort of hinting at this, there seems something foolish about a dogmatic quest for equality, right? And that and that foolishness sets up a kind of comedy in the broad sense, maybe. Yeah, but I, but I, I do think there's a there. I do think there is more of a connection between comedy and equality in that comedy is so often about deflating various kinds of um, of human pretenses. You know, and, and, and often it's about literally bringing people down to the same level as everybody else. And so maybe it's not so much everybody rises so much as everybody falls. And mm -hmm. comedy is often a, um, a search for a kind of common ground. So I think, I think comedy and equality actually have a little more of a, you might say, a more of an a, um, organic connection. Mm -hmm. 
Well, and, 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 and even in you saying this, and this is a name that comes up in a lot of people writing about this, you know, there is uh, maybe no mistake that uh, our main character is named Carol, which is Charles or Charlie. And there's a lot of uh, Chaplin-esque sort of uh, elements to to the character of Carol. Um, and so so maybe, maybe we could start to get into the film a little bit here. Um, what I loved about this last week, I talked about how the movie has all of these like tragedy setups and then he does interesting things with this. What I love about this movie is this movie is is very heavy. If you think I mean, it's possible to describe this movie to somebody who's never seen it and it's going to sound weighty and heavy and sad and painful. And it is that. It's also possible to describe things in this movie and make it sound like it is hysterically funny. There's there's lots of it has all of the elements of comedy. This is maybe where the comedy anti-comedy comes in. Um, I mean, if you think about like the setup for this movie, you get this down on his luck guy of and, and who becomes a very, you know, Chaplin-esque, you know, tramp character. I mean, at the at the beginning of the movie. He is everything is stripped away from him. He is literally impotent with no money, no home, no job, no passport, almost no identity. Then, Um, I mean, you even get you even get a a comedic thing of when he's standing on the steps of the of the um, the courthouse and the pigeon poops on him. And it's just like, okay, that's like a comedy beat like that should be in a Jim Carrey movie or something. But it's in this movie, which feels heavy and weighty. Um, but then you go forward and like you could tell somebody the story of the suitcase travel and then how the suitcase gets stolen. And it's like all of that is should be in 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 some versions of this story. That is all very funny. Like that is a very funny setup, um, although it doesn't play out that way. You get the scheme to, you know, all the schemes to kind of build this fortune, which, again, you could see that's very common in, in comedic stories and even the fake death as this like crazy plot to win his wife back or something like you could pitch all of that stuff as comedy, but in this movie, none of it comes off that way, but then it kind of does too. Like it, it's, it's somehow circular, like it's not, but then when I watched it a second time, I'm like, well, this is actually kind of a funny movie too, in a weird way. Well, I, I, I don't think that maybe this is an understatement. I don't think that Kozlowski is a, is a naturally com, comic person. Um, he himself calls it, uh, he says, well, maybe it's a lyrical comedy. Maybe it's a sad comedy. But, you know, I mean, even a sad comedy is, is a great description. Um, but no, it's certainly not a laugh out loud comedy. But it's really interesting, Sam, because what you're, what you're describing is how um, generic elements of a film don't necessarily work the way we expect them to, if they are filmed in a particular way, mm-hmm. um, I think I think you know, the only only moment in the film that's to me kind of close to laugh out loud is when he opens his eyes on the uh, on the on the he's in, the, in that big refuse heap and he says, "Home at last." Yes, you know. So uh, and, and or 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 when he gets back to his uh, to his brother's place and he says, "Too bad you missed Christmas," you know. So yeah, those are moments where maybe you might you know chuckle a, a little bit, but I think Kislowski is going. I mean, he's kind of going simultaneously for something that's comical, but also something that kind of strikes deeper than that in a way it makes me think a little bit of what um Preston Surges was trying to pull off in Sullivan's Travels uh and in Sullivan's Travels he had to do it in a sense by having two different ha- by, by two halves of the movie with different tones and it's like Kozlowski is trying to do it at the same time this mm-hmm. is both simultaneously funny and kind of 
heartbreaking, heartrending, tragic at the, at the same time. And I think you're exactly right. Naming him Carol, Carol, you know, Charlie, Charlie, Charlie Chaplin. And that's what Chaplin does a lot, too. You know, we, we watched City Lights a while ago, and that's a film that's both funny, and yet at the same time, it's kind of heartbreaking. So you could locate Kozlowski in that kind of uh, bitter comedy tradition. Now, what's interesting about about this movie, and uh, I feel this way about Blue as well, and maybe this is just how he tells stories. Is um, I think it was maybe it was Ebert who talked about like his his films don't go his stories don't go from A to B to C, where you it's hard to get out ahead of him. Uh, so, like I watched this not really knowing where it's exactly headed, so I'm very drawn in by what's happening and it sort of lulls me into this sense of like i am in his hands as a storyteller and then he tricked me <laughs> you know like i it didn't occur to me i was thinking a lot about equality but it didn't occur to me that this the bulk of this story is this large revenge narrative <laughs> mm-hmm. and then all of a sudden it happens and what's gr- what's great about this as a piece of storytelling and a piece of filmmaking is uh Dominique is not in much of this movie. You know, you're seeing it through Carol's eyes, but when you're in that hotel room, when she wakes up after Carol leaves, it's like all of a sudden it becomes her movie and you become very concerned and confused about what's happening because in his, uh, in his revenge equality uh, scheme, he turns everything around. So all of the things that had been his issues at the beginning are now her issues. And I think that the best example of this is uh, the little clip we get um, of this movie that appears in blue is you see Carol saying like, should the fact that I don't speak French, you know, keep me from, from being able to tell my side of things, you know? So, and he's talking through an interpreter and all of a sudden you realize she is in a different country where she (laughs) has a, only basic understanding of the language and now she, she's speaking to authorities through an interpreter and everything has been turned on its head and i and that was such a brilliant move because although the whole movie is building up to that and if we knew what things that we saw meant we might realize it because the second viewing you realize there's there are all these moments where he's laying uh, laying some groundwork for you but not in a way you could ever figure out and then all of a sudden you are sitting there with um, you're sitting there with Dominique and realizing she she is now in the position he was in at the beginning of the film. I, I, I also think, Sam, that that's one of the ways in which the film of the three of the three in the trilogy, really, the film is the most um, blatantly or obviously political. Now, even though Kozlowski says that it's about how these concepts play out in the lives of ordinary people. It's really hard not to see the battle between these two people as somewhat symbolic. Um, I mean, it's interesting to me that uh, even Carol's name uh, is, is a double K. And, uh, and of course, Kazazi's name is a double K. And so one of the things that happens when you, you know, when you shift, when you shift from France, so you have Carol is a fish out of water in France and the fact that he doesn't speak the language puts him at a disadvantage. And then the same thing happens to Dominique when she's in Poland. I mean, I think it's, it's, it, it is about their experience as individuals, but I think it's also about their representation of the culture and the country from which they come. And Kislowski, 
I mean, he's being funded by the French, but there's clearly kind of a love-hate relationship here. And a lot of it really is about, you know, is Poland going to be allowed to be equal to France? Um, you know, so I think one of the ways that he, he plays with that is I love the contrasting telephone scenes, right? In, in France, the, the, the phone steals your two-franc coin. And of course, then that two franc coin becomes a really symbolic object sure. in the film. And in Poland, you can't even you can't even get in or out of the telephone booth. The phones don't work at all. Um, and then at the same time, you have Carol kind of rising through this new capitalism, which has infused Poland. And so then the idea is maybe Poland will rise to become equal to France. So I think there's a really, in my mind anyway, there's a really interesting political subtext being played out in the battle between these these two characters well and you even see i I love the the two different salons right you see the salon the hair salon in in paris and then you see the 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 brother's hair salon which is also their house and i love when he first shows up and he says oh you have neon and his brother says this is europe now yes So, I, so I, I, I did actually check to see when Poland joined the European Union, and it wasn't until nine years later in 2003. But obviously, they were they were on the rise. Yes, yes, yes. Uh, and and I, yeah, and, I, and we'll, we'll talk a little bit more about sort of this as a as a picture of um, as a picture of post communist uh, mm-hmm. post communist Poland. So, um, and, and I, maybe we're getting out ahead of ourselves a little bit, but I actually want to talk about the ending now because mm-hmm. I because so we we built up to this moment where the tables have turned on Dominique. And as I was watching this the first time, I thought, oh, is this the ending? This would be an interesting ending, and this would work as an ending um, if this was the story he wanted to tell. But I was amazed how much more of the movie, like, well, actually, this movie keeps having things that could be endings. Him watching her cry at the funeral, it's like, well, okay, you could end the movie there. And it's like, well, that that's a complete story arc. Mm-hmm. And then you realize, oh, there's more. And then there's the hotel. And then they have this, you know, they have sex that night in the hotel. And you're like, oh, okay. So maybe mm-hmm. this is when it flashed to white. I was like, oh, that's the yep. ending. Interesting. Then the next morning happens. And then the police come and I'm thinking, well, that's the ending. Interesting. But then that's not the ending. Then you go to Carol um, still in Poland somehow. And I keep thinking like, you've got to get out of here. This does, you know, and his brother's saying like, people are going to recognize you because he's standing by the window, but then he just keeps walking around, which also is maybe a commentary on, um, <laughs> uh, sort of the structure of society or, or authority or things like that, that he is not concerned about, you know, about being seen. But then we have this scene where he goes to the, the prison and what I found so interesting is, so if this is a story about equality and he has turned the tables or, you know, attempted to kind of level the playing field between them, it's so interesting when you get to the end and it ends with him basically where he started at the beginning of the movie. He has no money because he he doesn't exist, right? So he mm-hmm. so although he has built this huge company, I'm sure he could potentially through Mikolai, I mean, he's not he's not as destitute, but he's not in a great spot that way. He has no identity. His passport has again been destroyed. Mm-hmm. He is alone <laughs> staring up at his ex-wife through a window, which we saw before. And it's mm-hmm. it's so, so there is this sort of circular thing of like, well, what did equality get him? Um and I feel like a lot of this movie depends on how you think about that ending. Yeah. Like how, what do those tears mean at the ending? Is this, what is her, 
kind of pantomime for him um, that that he, or, or sign language that she's doing. Does that leave you hopeful, depressed? Is this like an O. Henry-esque ending where it's like you think you're doing this and in fact you've done this other thing? Like, like what do you make of this ending and what do you make of those tears in this ending? Well, I think, well, first of all, the, the tears, um, it's one of the ways I connect it to Blue. Uh, because Blue, of course, ends with uh, Juliette Binoche's tears, which are tears both of sorrow and joy. And I think the same thing is happening here. It is, it is a surprisingly ambiguous ending the more you think about it. And um, so I, I, I read one critic who, who argued that the ending means that it, it, that it's, it will be impossible for them to get together. So, so the tears in that respect are tears of sorrow because the, the only way they could get together was he would have to be resurrected. Uh, so he, you know, he'd have to say, hey, I'm actually alive. She didn't kill me. And then he'd go to jail and she'd be free. So, so, what, so one reading of it is that his attempt to achieve equality has completely failed. Um, what he's done is he's achieved revenge, but, uh, but she remains as inaccessible to him as, as ever. So that's one way to read it. Um, the other way to read it is, um, you know, her pantomime seems to say, you know, once I get out of here or if I get out of here, we're going to get married again. Right. She's she's putting the ring on, on her finger. And, and if I think about it from a um, from a realistic point of view, if that's possible with a film like this, the, I, I don't think the police have any evidence. I mean, the, you know, the idea that she's been arrested for his murder, fine. But I mean, what evidence do they have? They just have this, it appears, I mean, supposedly he set her up, but I'm not quite sure that there's anything linking her to, the, to his death other than the coincidence of her showing up at the same time. And the other thing I want to say is, um, in terms of thinking about this ending, is that because Kislowski is so often, you've alluded to this, Sam, because he's so often playing with time sequences, you don't know what's happening in the future and what's happened in the past. Mm -hmm. So for example, we assume that the wedding scene that we see three times, we assume that's a flashback. How do we know it's not a flash forward? That had never occurred to me. I love that. Because, because we know that the scene we see at the beginning, intercutting him on the, on the Paris street with the, the uh, suit, the trunk, we know that shot of that trunk is a flash forward. Mm -hmm. so so we think you know because the convention is right the convention that that we're following when we watch the film is okay here they are in the courtroom they've been talking about the wedding their marriage that's got to be a flashback well i don't know uh, and the final thing i'll say is i don't think you can come to a full conclusion about what about what that ending means if you've seen red Right. I do know that. I do know that, that we're yeah. going to see uh, some characters. I think Julie Delpy's in red, right? Yeah. Yeah. We're going to, yeah. we're going to, we're going to see everybody from the trilogy again in red. And I think that's where we're maybe going to have, have our last word. And and the, and the other thing I have to say, and I am going to, I am going to revert to an argument for genre. And that is if this film is truly a comedy, um, which Kozlowski says it is comedies have to have happy endings. That's the definition of a comedy. Um, and so that's why I'm inclined to, to read the ending of this of the film positively. And I would also argue it's not just because I'm imposing the genre of comedy on it, but the film has has observed the comedic rise of the of the of the hero the way it's supposed to. So in other words, you know, when he starts out on the scheme to buy the land, um, 
I was initially thinking, well, because I didn't remember anything about this film, even though I have seen it. I was initially thinking, well, this isn't going to work. He's kind of shl a shlemiel. He's a sad sack. And it does work. And, you know, you flash forward a year later, and there he is. Now he's this great, you know, business magnate. So that tells me that the arc of this film is the arc of comedy, which is always an upward arc. So I'm inclined to read that last scene as a result uh, much more positively than negatively. I really, I, I really like that reading. And I, you know, it's funny. Cause I, in my second viewing, when I had read, I, so I watched the movie, then I read a bunch of reviews. A lot of them were contemporary reviews, probably reviewers who saw this once and then had to write a review. Yeah. And a number of people talked about the two Frank coin and how every time you see him touch the two Frank coin, it has the, what they claimed is it has this effect on Dominique in Paris. And I re realized rewatching, it's like, Oh no, they missed it. Like, what you're seeing when you see Dominique there is that that those flash forwards are him planning. They're him imagining this is how this is what's going to happen. Um, so I so I became acutely aware of how the times how strange the time stuff is, but it never occurred to me, maybe because of the gauzy, you know, white of the of the wedding, where I was like, well, obviously that and and he does set you up to think that that is one thing. Oh. But it very well could be another. There is no, you know, yeah, that's, I really like that as a potential reading, um, a potential reading of this. Maybe let's talk about, the, there's there's at least two objects, uh, and maybe you could argue three objects that um, are sig re really significant in this movie. I'll name all three, and we can debate whether one of them is significant or just a joke. <laughs> um, you have the bust. Yeah. Um, and what I love is he sees that, um, when he's in his most down on his luck moment as he's walking and sees it in a window and before he goes uh, back to Poland in the suitcase, I love that he says to Mikolai, there's, there's just one thing I need to steal. <laughs> and it's like, that's, that's, again, is a very funny line. It doesn't read funny, but when you think about it, like that's a funny thing to say. So, so he has this bust, which gets, uh, uh, I mean, I presume we're supposed to read that that is that is like his idealized image of Dominique. Um, mm -hmm. And it, it, it and it looks enough like her that that is actually very convincing um, that that gets destroyed and he rebuilds it. And, and he has this, you know, that this becomes this sort of special thing to him. We have the two franc coin, um, which, you know, is is the remnants of him listening to his wife um, with another man. Uh, and that and th this thing that he fights for to, to get. And um, even when he's uh, attacked after the airport, it's the thing that he snatches back. Um, and then the other object, which again, we can debate is, but, but it comes up a lot is the comb. Oh yeah. Um, you know, cause the, the comb is the, the tool of his profession. It's the thing he makes music with, which connects him to, to Mikolai. And then um, at the end, he's looking through the comb you know, uh, moving the comb across his eyes and looking at it. There's a point where he puts it over his mouth. Mm -hmm. um, so that's when I have less of a sense of what to make of. But um, when you think about these objects, what do you, what, what kind of things come to mind as you're thinking about the role that they play? Well, yeah, I mean, I think, I think I, I certainly, well, let's, let, you know, let's start with the coin. The coin is, is really, um, it's a connection to her, as you've already pointed out, Sam, you know, he makes that phone call and, I think what I, what I, there's two things that happen with the coin that I really love. One is that when he tries to throw it in the river, he can't, you know, it's like it literally sticks in his hand because he's trying, you know, that's, that's obviously symbolic of, I'm, you know, I'm going to leave her, I'm going to leave France, I'm going to leave all that behind. And he, and he, and he can't. 
And then, of course, uh, after he has the corpse in the coffin and he slips the coin into the coffin, which is, a, I mean, you can read that a couple different ways. I mean, one, one critic read that is it's, it's a kind of uh, that's burying his past. Um, but you could also say that's kind of identifying the corpse as him and it's all mm -hmm. part, of, a part, part of the scheme. Who knows, you know, whether in some ways that carries the connotation that that's him in, in, in the coffin. So I think the coin is a lot about his, um, his relationship with his past self in France uh, and, of course, obviously his relationship with Dominique. What I love about the bust is um, there's a lovely scene where he's back at home, he's in his bedroom, and he's listening to, uh, he's taking French lessons on, the, uh, on a tape recorder, right? And he's getting these various French verbs to eat, to sleep, to leave. And at that point, he starts to lean over as if he's going to kiss the bust. And then the last French verb he gets is to please. So the bust is all about working out this relationship with her. And it kind of gets back to what you were saying earlier, and that is, He's what we're being told, and we don't know this until we think back or watch the film again, is this is where he's actually making his plan. I think he's making the plan as he's interacting with this bust. And he's, so it tells me that his actions are not, I mean, on the one hand, you could say this guy is a crazy Avenger, but I don't think that's the case. I think it really is a kind of love that he's trying to pursue. Uh, okay, then finally, the comb. I love the comb because he said, first of all, it's the tool of his procession, profession. Um, <laughs> he threatens the thieves with the scissors and they get the scissors away from him, but he's still got the comb, right? Um, so the song that he's playing in, in the Metro is, it's called The Last Sunday. It was a popular uh, World War II tune in Poland. And it's actually about a doomed love affair. Uh, and then he plays the song again. Uh, when he and Nikolai are standing in their, you know, in their, their new digs for the business and they look out and they say, he's so, one of them says we have Warsaw uh, at our feet. And what's interesting is when they do that, they're actually uh, looking out at a, uh, a really significant building. It's, a, it's the tallest building in Warsaw. The, uh, the, it's, uh, it was built during the, the Soviet, um, the Soviet uh, domination of, of Poland. Uh, and so it's a sense in which they are asserting their, uh, ultimately, their, uh, their triumph over, 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 over communism. So I think it's, so again, it's interesting how those objects all have a very personal build meaning, but they also have a kind of uh, political meaning at, at the same time. Yeah, I love that 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 you brought up the uh, the French lessons um, that he's doing because also if you think about those words, so many of them have to do with his plot as well, right? Because what does he eventually do at the end in the hotel room? He pleases her, they sleep, and he leaves. Yes. <laughs> you know, like 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 it is it is he he's learning the language of of his um, of his plan, you know. And then at the the last thing he's doing when he goes to the um, uh, when he goes to the the prison is he brings food so it's almost like in reverse mm -hmm. you know like mm -hmm. like like that's the you know the the reversal of that um I love the cast of this movie um I will say Julie Delpy's the only person that I I'm aware of because she's in American movies. So I, so I've seen her before, but um, I think uh, uh Zbigniew Zamachowski who plays mm -hmm. Carol Carol is, amazing uh you know and, and it's one of those things where i 
I should try this sometime. I think I could watch these movies without subtitles and because once you know the story i feel like it all gets so much gets communicated in eyes and things like this but i love the the broader cast too you know um because a lot of these are polish actors who you know i've never seen a polish movie before so i've never seen any of these people but there are great faces there are great performances i love the guy who plays his brother Mm-hmm. I love oh, the guy yeah. who plays the attorney typing up the will on the typewriter. Um, and I, I was looking on the 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 I or the Wikipedia page um, at all these di- these different actors, and they're all like also like um, uh, professors of acting too. They're all like like like, like major acting teachers at, in universities. So it's like it's a it's a very uh, high. Uh, high status of actors that he has, you know, in this film, but they're even people doing really small performances are they're great faces in this movie. Yeah. Several of them are from Decalogue. Um, the actor that plays Mikolai has uh, a couple of roles in, in Decalogue. I think four or five of them are from, from Decalogue. Um, you know, Kislowski didn't necessarily have kind of a, a company of actors the way, you know, uh, Preston Sergis did, but he certainly had a number that he kind of used again and again. Um, and so, yeah, and, uh, you yeah, especially, especially a couple of the actors you, you mentioned, I mean, they really are, you know, prominent uh, actors in Polish cinema. Yeah. Um, so we didn't really talk a lot about Mikolai and he, it's like, he has a separate storyline from the, I mean, that, that, that intersects with this, but I think that's such an, that in and of itself is an interesting movie the the relationship between, um, Carol and Mikolai, uh, you know, the idea of, um, you know, somebody wanting to die, um, but not being able to do it, wanting to be killed, you know, and, and the, the interesting thing is when this is first introduced to Carol, you know, and he doesn't know it's Mikolai at the time, but he's like, this person has a wife, a family and money and they want to die. And it's like, it's, it's like, it doesn't make sense to him because this person has everything that Carol wants or lacks, um, you know, in, in that moment. Um and then we get that that you know the scene later in 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 Warsaw where um the actual you know shooting happens um mm-hmm. with uh you know where he shoots the blank and there is just this like powerful moment of like of of, of a second life a second opportunity um and it, it's I, I love when when you know before before he pulls the trigger the first time, he says, like, are you sure? And Mikolai says, yes. And then when he shoots the blank and then he gets ready to do it again. And he's saying like, this time it's going to be real. And he says, are you sure? And he says, I don't think so anymore or something like that or not anymore. Um, and, and I was so worried that Mikolai was going to die, <laughs> yeah. you know, that, that, that it's like, well, that, that's something that, that, you know, can't be undone. And when he pulls that trigger, I, I was pretty shocked. And then to realize that, that even this is maybe the comedy rather than tragedy or something like this is like um, that, uh, that Carol understands uh, Mikolai needs this moment, but maybe he doesn't actually need to die or want to die. Um, and then, and then the next scene we get is that, seen on the it's whether it's a river or a lake when they're on the ice mm-hmm. and it's the lightest moment in this whole movie yeah. and it's such a joyful moment you know they um he, uh Mikolai says i feel like a kid again and so it really is this sort of new birth that he has and i think carol says everything is possible uh yeah. and that's yeah. that's such a powerful thing and then it's so interesting that Mikolai is the person who does a lot of the work to kill carol right so they they both 
you know, uh, metaphorically kill each other, or maybe metaphorically is not the right word, but they, they both kill each other in a sense. Um, but maybe do that to help give them another opportunity at an, at, at, at understanding life differently. Well, you know, there's kind of an interesting pun going on with the, the blank because blank and, and blanc, uh, oh, sure. blanc, white and blank. And, uh, and in, in French, the, uh, the phrase to shoot a blank is also to suggest uh, sexual impotence. So, mm. so that's, that's kind of an interesting doubling that's going on there. But I, but I also want to say, Sam, that one of the ways in which the film uses the idea of equality structurally is all of the doublings and repetitions in the film. You know, like the one you just pointed out, like, you know, it's, it's, it, uh, that, that, um, if, well, that, that's kind of an equality of contrast. Like Nikolai is the guy who seems to have everything in the world. And he wants to die. Carol has nothing and he wants to live. Uh, you know, Nikolai has this moment of, uh, you know, when Carol asks him, are you sure? And of course that gets doubled later on when Carol goes to offer Nikolai the job and Nikolai says, are you sure? And they both respond in the same way. They'll both respond by smiling and, and shake and shaking their heads. Uh, and there's a lot of moments in this film. I already pointed out, you know, you get him playing the comb, comb in the metro, and then playing the comb in the uh, in the in the the, the office. Um, you look at all the times that he looks at uh, Dominique through opera glasses in Paris uh, at his funeral, and then when she's in when she's in the prison. Um, they both experience Mikhail Carroll both experience kind of a death and a, and a, and a rebirth. Um, the repetition of you can buy anything. Mm-hmm. Uh, you can buy a gun, you can buy a corpse. I mean, there's just a lot of, I mean, to me, one of the things I was really fascinated by with this film was how incredibly intricate its structure is uh, and how it has, like I said, these correspondences, these contrasts kind of throughout. But also um, that moment you, you identified where you go from, of course, there, it's, in a, it's in a different subway, right? So the Paris Metro versus the, the Warsaw Metro, but that transition to the scene where they're sliding on the ice and you get the tango theme that dominates in Warsaw. And of course, a tango is, is first of all, it's a highly sexualized dance, but it's one in which the sexual impulses are held in check and through the very formality of the dance. But it's also a dance in which, even though the woman has a kind of a spectacular demonstration, it is the guy that's in control. So mm-hmm. it seems quite significant to me that the tango is the chosen theme for, for Warsaw, because once uh, Dominique comes into Warsaw, uh, he is, in fact, leading the dance. I, I love as you mentioned the, the you said the the doubling of the line you know you can buy you can buy anything here and and maybe this leads us into talking a little bit about um post-communist uh poland a little bit because you hear that doubled and and the uh, there's actually another doubling um that comes around that time when when he first gets gets um beat up by the people who stole the suitcase and they're going to take his watch and the person says oh it's just a russian piece of crap but then the the driver when he asks about the corpse he says you can buy anything here how do you feel about a russian import you know for the for the corpse so there's this idea that like yeah that's you know it's only it's only trash you get from russia but if it's a dead body well you know maybe <laughs> maybe an import would be uh would, would sort of be okay with this i also love the sort of picture of of poland in this moment that this is a, a this and maybe it's a fleeting moment of capitalist opportunity for those who can see and seize it and you realize how um you know carol 
takes that opportunity to learn about the land deal and then goes and, you know, and, and closes it ahead of time and starts this business. And then as I was watching it, I'm like, what is Carol's business? Because <laughs> he talks about <laughs> bananas and electronics. And everything. So I think he's just like, it, it. what I love is it's never clearly that this is a an illegal business, but it sure feels like this seems shady because he just he just says I'm going to start a company and it's going to be big. But it's like it just seems like I mean, it's not, it, it feels a lot like in a mob movie where it's like, well, this stuff fell off a truck, so okay, we're going to do you know like um, so 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 I, I kind of like that um, sense of you know you move from from Paris, which is my favorite city in the world and and he and in blue he lovingly shoots paris lots lots of times this starts in paris and then you go to you go to poland and it's so uh it's so bleak i mean it literally is white most of the time and frozen but that there is opportunity there for somebody who can who can see it and seize it well i love uh, i i have to quote this description from one of the uh one of the, the critics that i read about um wh- how white depicts uh, Poland post-1989. He says, a, a country populated by crooks, nouveau riches, bandits pretending to be businessmen. According to Polish folk wisdom, gangsters and businessmen have a lot in common. Their moralities fuse. Foreign currency dealers, thieves at the airport, and backward farmers. <laughs> oh, I do. I, we got to talk about the farmer. I do love that the, the farmer, when he's like, you could buy a car, you could get a TV. He's like, what do I want with that? I could bury it in the ground though. Like, like that, that's the thing that he convinces himself. Well, that's a good idea. Um, one of my favorite things in this movie, and it's a very small thing. And this is a, this is a callback to blue is both of them have a scene of a very, very old hunched over person struggling mm-hmm. to recycle a wine bottle. Yes. And I remember watching that in blue and thinking, this is a beautiful, interesting little scene that they don't comment on, but she's just sitting there watching it. And she's starting to like hear the music in her head. And then him at his lowest point watches. And what's interesting is it's not, I mean, he very well could have been like, oh, they're both seeing the same thing, but it's, it's a different person. This is an old man this time. And there is this struggle to get it up there. And I was thinking about, you know, this is such an interesting symbol because recycling is all about like caring for the future of the planet and all of this stuff. And you have the oldest person who feels like if they dropped dead in that moment, you wouldn't be surprised. And it's like, this person is recycling. <laughs> that's not, that's the person you wouldn't think would be like the, the person who is sort of caring about the future. Um, but there is sort of an interesting kind of image about about time and maybe like faith or hope in that, uh, if you want to see it that way. What are your thoughts on on that? And I'm, I'm curious if we're going to see a third in in red, a third iteration uh, of this. Yes, okay. <laughs> we are. I won't say too much more. I, I okay. So I think what's interesting is that if I'm recalling it in blue, the recycling is going on. Uh, it's an old woman in blue. Mm-hmm. Yep. And as I recall, I don't think that Julie pays much attention to her at all. Um, whereas in white, it's almost as though it's all those moments where no matter how bad off you are, you can always find somebody who's worse. And it's almost like Carol looks at the old man. It kind of feels like, well, you know, may, may, maybe my, maybe my life isn't so bad because at least, you know, at least I could, I could get the bottle in there. On the other hand, maybe the, maybe the failure to get the bottle in there is another symbol of impotence. Uh, and it kind of is an equation with, with, with Carol. So I think part of it is, um, it, it, it is a way for 
uh, Kieslowski to link the films in some respect. And as I said, when you get to Red, you're going to kind of see there's kind of a reason why they've all been there. And okay. it, kind of gets, it kind of gets answered in a sense in, in, in Red. Well, I'll just, I'll, I'll wait for that. Then I was, yeah. I was assuming it was just so cool to see it again. Cause that scene jumped out in blue and we didn't talk about it because I was just like, well, I don't know what to make of that. And it yeah, was, then yeah. when I saw it again, I thought, okay, here is, here is something. So, so we'll, uh, we'll, we'll wait on that. Um, I have a few small items, but anything you want to talk about with this movie? Well, just one thing. And I, I, I want to stay on the, uh, on, on the recycling scene for a minute. And, and that is that, you know, somebody, I, I watched an interview that uh, Kislowski did for French TV and somebody asked him um, a question about, you know, are you ever worried that the audience won't, that the audience won't make the effort that you're asking them to make to watch your films. And he talked about the fact that, well, I think that, you know, what I do in the films, I try to give them sort of like a mystery or something to look forward to. So, and he talked specifically about the the trunk. And I think in some ways, you know, the recycling scene works the same way. I think that you're a little bit baffled by it. You're like, why is that in the film? And I think it's a way to keep the audience sort of paying attention, even if there isn't a payoff immediately. And that's one of the things I really love about Kislowski. I think he is the most... He's among the most accessible of art house directors. Hmm. Um, he makes the audience work, but I think he, I, I don't think he makes the work as impossible or as difficult as it can be in some of their filmmakers. Um, so yeah, I want to mention two things. One, of course, the terribly obvious one that whereas in blue, you have the blackouts and the music swells in white, you have the whiteouts and the sound of Julie Delpy orgasm, orgasm. Um, although he uses towards the end of the film, he uses both blackouts and whiteouts. Mm-hmm. But I thought, and you mentioned the whiteout earlier, Sam. So I like, I like, I like that. Um, Kislowski said that white was a difficult color to make kind of dramatically vivid the way blue and red is. I love the fact that in the bedroom scene and the hotel scene at the end, that the sheets are red uh, looking forward to the next film, but there is plenty of white in the film, especially the wedding veil, the alabaster bust, all that. Um, The final thing I have to mention, because it connects with the movie we watched not long ago, of course, when he and Mikolai come up out of the French. This is is one of my, yeah. Yeah, And, and you have the, the poster from contempt, uh, which um, originally it was going to be an image of Michelle Pfeiffer. I'm glad they settled on contempt instead, because that's exactly what's going on, right? Mm-hmm. That's the, what he's feeling from Julie Delpy is exactly what, you know, in, in the case of contempt, an Italian man was feeling from a French woman. So I just, I, the, the more I, I watch this film and think about it, Sam, the more impressed I am by, by how intricately constructed it is. Um, and, and I, I have to admit when I first saw it many years ago, I was disappointed by it. Um, this time I was just completely fascinated by it. I just think there's, there's a lot of layers in this film. It's so well put together. It's amazing. Which is why, as I said, this makes me so excited to see red just because it's like, okay, I'm in your hands. Like whatever you want to do next, I'm ready to go. Um, especially thinking about now having two films for this third one to be in conversation with in some way, because definitely blue and white, if you want, I mean, there's literal crossovers, but if you want to think about these two in conversation, it's pretty interesting. So it's like, let's, let's see the next, the next move you have. I'm very excited for, um, I had one other, um, uh, cinema reference that I don't know if it's a cinema reference, but I just watched this movie last week. So I couldn't help but think about it. Um, when, when uh carol is in the suitcase in the uh in the airport 
in Paris and there the luggage cart is driving and it's precariously on top of that luggage cart and you see it shaking. All I could think about was Kubrick's The Killing and how you watch the suitcase on the top. And I'm just like, and I had I just watched The Killing for the first time this week and I thought, oh no, is this suitcase gonna fall and open up like it? Uh, because that is that's such a great scene in the Kubrick movie and this has that feeling. And there's a point where the cart hit, hits something and it shakes yeah. and I thought, oh no. You know, so I I thought I thought of Kubrick there, um, and then just because I I have one a movie that I thought of here. If you were to double feature this with a movie that wasn't blue or red, do you have anything that uh, that jumps out to you? Not immediately, but you've okay. obviously been thinking about so, this. So, well, I don't know if this again. I always feel like mine are are strange, but um, I think it this could be in conversation with a movie like The Third Man, The Third Man in post war Vienna. And it's sort of in this, right? And this in in, in post-communist Poland, both have fake funerals, people scheming. So, I mean, they're they're very, and both have this ending of like, um, what are we supposed to do about this thing that at least one character thinks is love, <laughs> you know? Um, so, so the very different movies, but I feel like well, th- those, those, those would work as an interesting double feature. I think. I, I absolutely agree, Sam. I think that's brilliant. I love that idea. That's great. <laughs> All right. So I think I know what we have next week, but what do we have for next week, Barrett? Well, I think, uh, I think we're going to watch red next week also from 1994. Uh, and, and red is the, uh, a lot of people think red is the best film of the three. Oh, really? Uh, maybe we should talk about that next week, Sam. You know, do we really feel the need to say that, you know, is one film the, the best or is one film maybe a favorite? Maybe that's a yeah. different way. Yeah. To think yeah. Yeah. Oh, fantastic. And and we didn't mention this uh, in the last two weeks, but all three of these are on the Criterion channel, too. So. With lots of great extras. Yes. I, there were There's a really fantastic video essay about white. It's only about a 10, 12 minute essay, but it's really, really good. So, yeah. So this is yet another advertisement. You know, the, the Christmas season is upon us. This is a great gift for someone or it a is. great gift for yourself. It is. And, and, and at a hundred dollars a year, you only have to watch a lot of movies to feel like you're getting your money's worth. That's right. That's right. Well, Barrett, thank you so much for recommending this film. I, as I said, really loved it. I, this is one that I can imagine myself going back to. I can imagine myself watching. I'm going to say these three movies, even though I haven't seen red yet, like I'm going to revisit these uh, going forward. Cause I really think there's something, uh, something interesting going on here. So thank you for recommending this and thank you for having this conversation. That is all the time that we have, but we will be back next week to talk about three colors, red in the video store. Mm-hmm.